welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Um, Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. This is the text we'll be pointing our attention to today, Romans chapter 1. You know, shame is such a powerful tool. How many of you have experienced shame before? Yeah, I have a feeling that every single person, come on by. Every single person knows exactly what I'm talking about. You guys know the ministry center is small, right? But hey, this is church. You've experienced shame in some way or another. You know, it's a very powerful tool for discouragement. Because when you're ashamed, don't you feel the weight on you? You feel the weight of whoever it is that's putting that shame, whether it's yourself or others. You may feel the weight of the actions that led to the shame. But you know what it's not good at? It's, it's great at discouraging us. But shame is a terrible motivator. When you feel ashamed, the last thing you want to do is get up and do something about it. Right? Unless you're talking about revenge, and that's not what I'm meaning. I'm talking about doing something to counteract what has caused the shame in the first place. And so I want to ask you as we get into this powerful word that Paul speaks in Romans 1, I want to ask you, what shame are you carrying today? What shame did you bring to church at home with you? Open it up. Take it out of the package, whether it's in your back pocket or right in the forefront of your mind. Are you ashamed of yourself for some of the things that you've been caught up in lately? Are you ashamed of the way that you look when you look into the mirror? You know, not dark enough, not light enough, not skinny enough, not thick enough, hair's not long enough, hair's too long. You know how that goes, right? Shame. It just gets us in all different types of ways. I want you to open that up. But I want you to open it up with this promise, okay? Here's my promise to you if you're honest enough to open up your shame to God today. He will not use it to discourage you. He's going to turn that shame around, and he's going to use his grace to motivate you to walk out of your shame today and into what he has in store. So, you know, when we carry shame, it's like we're wearing a weighted pack to a track meet. Have you ever been to a track meet? Put a little running man or running woman emoji in the, in the chat if you've ever been to or participated in a track meet. Have you guys ever participated in a track meet? Yes? No? A few? No? Okay, we got a, a couple yeses. So Lindsay and I are the only track meet participants here. Oh, track and field at the Olympics. Yeah, uh, we've seen that. You played it on, online. So no one would ever wear a weighted vest or a backpack to a track meet, right? Not when they're participating anyway, maybe with their equipment in it. But let me tell you a story, and I'm going to expose some shame for you, or at least some embarrassment. I know embarrassment or shame are cousins, or they're they're siblings, right? So it's not all embarrassment leads to shame, um, but it is 
the, the, the precursor to shame. So here's some embarrassing stories for you, or at least one. Uh, in seventh grade, I was five feet two inches, okay, so about right here, and 180 pounds. So I was the same weight I am now, but seven inches shorter and zero muscle, all right? And, and my coach in track, see, I should not have been running track, right? But I did run track because if you wanted to play football at my school, you had to run track because they were trying to get us in shape. I get it. It makes sense. But as a seventh grader, I wasn't excited about it. You know, I was thinking, okay, they'll put me in shot put or discus, which they did, and I'll, I'll be okay at those, which I was. I never medaled or anything, but I got like sixth or seventh place, you know, when there was less than 10 people there at the meet with me. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> then the coach said, Mayberry, you're going to run the 300-meter hurdles. 300 meters of hurdles. Have you ever seen a track before? It's an oval, right? Well, the 300-meter hurdles starts at the top of the oval, goes all the way down, all the way around, and then all the way back up to the finish line of the oval, only missing the top curve. 300 meters filled with hurdles. And as five foot two Larry, the hurdles came up to my waist. How in the world am I supposed to jump over these hurdles while also running a sprint? Well, the, the way it happened was that it didn't happen. Um, not very well. My parents uh, would be able to tell you that it was quite sad, really, watching Larry get last place at every single seventh grade track meet. And then in eighth grade, the coach said, set 300 meter hurdles again. So then in eighth grade, a, a kid from another school had, had moved into another school like in the area. And me and him tied for last or second to last every single race of my eighth grade year, right? That feeling you're having is called pity. But if you could put yourself in my shoes, the feeling you'd be having would be called what? Embarrassment or shame. You're sh I, mean, I was ashamed of myself, right? And, you know, a coach or a good parent or whatever will say, you tried your hardest. That's nothing to be ashamed of, right? But as a seventh grade kid, that doesn't make any sense. Of course there's something to be ashamed of. I got last place. People were in the stands eating their nachos when the race started. And by the time I finished... They were done and ready for another round, and it was a sprint. Okay, so when we carry shame, it's the same idea. It's like five foot two Larry trying to run 300 meter hurdles. We're weighted down by many things, right? The fact that I had never trained, so I had no muscles. The fact that I had never run, so I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had no sprint in me. And the biggest handicap that I had was that I was so short that it was really taxing for me to even just get over the hurdle. Sometimes at the end of the race, I would have to come up to the hurdle and jump two-footed over it just to clear the hurdle. Thankfully, I never hit one and fell. Although one time, someone hit one and fell and still beat me. That's a true story. <laughs> um, when we carry shame, it's the same idea. We're running a race without a chance to win before the whistle is even blown. Before the gun goes off, you already lost because shame is a weight that sits on you and weighs you down. It's not a good motivator. It's a great discourager. And today, I am ready for you 
and me to lay down our shame because the only way that you will be motivated to carry the water of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to your unbelieving friends, neighbors, friends, and enemies, and Emily's too, if one of those is an Emily, the only way we will be motivated to carry the water to them is if we are unashamed. So type in the chat right now or say out loud if you want, unashamed. Unashamed. Okay, one person here in the room is with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 is where I said we're going to point our attention to today. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the gospel of Jesus Christ in this powerful passage, which if you've been around church, you have probably heard. Verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's go back up to 14 and 15 real fast because I want you to catch a little bit. Uh, this might not make sense right off the bat. You might say, of course you're not ashamed of the gospel, Paul. It, it saved you. But listen to what Paul says just before this because the verse starts with four, I am not ashamed. So he's building on to something he's already said previously. You ready? Verse 14 says, Paul says, I am under obligation. Some of you might say, uh, some of yours might say, Um, I am indebted to. A good way to translate that word from the Greek into English is um, indebted. I am under obligation or I am indebted to both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, for I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I am indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians. Listen. Paul was called by God to go share the good news of Jesus to the unbelieving world who was not Jewish. Sometimes in the Bible, you'll see them referred to as Gentiles. Sometimes you'll see Greeks. And here he uses a word which we should not confuse as insulting. He uses the word barbarians. Now, if somebody said uh, that you are a barbarian, you probably would be angry with them, right? But what, what this word really means is the people who do not belong in that land, So you could say something like immigrants, or you could say foreigners, um, or you could say travelers. It really is very wide, uh, wide encompassing. Okay, so but this is the people, the Greeks, those Gentiles who are are definitely not Jews, and then the people who are around from all over. This is why Paul traveled all throughout Asia Minor in his missionary journeys to share the good news of Jesus, and we think scholars think. This is why Paul writes the letter to Rome before he visits there saying, I want to come visit you because he's thinking that the way humans are, these Roman believers are in the capital city, right? They're being most likely, they're facing the the biggest amount of persecution and Paul hasn't come to see them yet. He sees them going to uh, Philippi, to Ephesus, to Corinth, all these cities where it's pretty safe for him to travel and to share about Jesus. And they're like, we're in the capital city. We are experiencing a lot right now. Come see us. This is Paul thinking that they're probably thinking like that. And so he's saying to them, I am under obligation. I am indebted to the Greeks and barbarians, which is foolish, right? We should be indebted to who? Only. To, to God, right? We're indebted to Jesus Christ because of the debt that he paid on our behalf. But what Paul is saying here is that he actually feels a debt toward the people whom God has called him to reach. And I want us to get to this place in our walk with God. 
Do you feel indebted to the people whom God has called you to reach? Are you indebted to your calling? Is your calling just a highway for you to get from one place in your life to somewhere else you want to get to? Or is your calling a a weight, a burden on you that you feel indebted to the people that God has given you? Now, this sermon's not about what you should do with that burden, right? You should take that burden to Jesus. He takes it and he turns it into your good. That's another sermon, so don't feel... Don't feel uh, uneasy about the word burden there. But the point is that our calling should be seen by us as an obligation to those people. When God calls us to our family, he is obligating us to be the light in our, in our house. Each of us are called to that. I say this often, but just a reminder, your closest neighbors are the ones you live with, right? Don't think of... Uh, Uh, suburbia version of neighbor, where the neighbor is your next door neighbor. Now, that's your next closest neighbor. The first ones are the ones closest to you that, that you live with. So you are called to them first. You're under obligation. And then Jesus, throughout his time, teaches us that followers of Christ are actually under obligation to who else? You remember? It starts with an E. Everyone. That's right. We are under obligation to everyone. God calls us even to love our enemies. So, It is with that as his precursor that Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is making it clear that his, sorry, that it is not shame that is his motivation for sharing the good news. Because, as I said before, shame is a terrible motivator, right? It's a discourager. The one true God, your heavenly father, does not shame you into spreading his message. It would be foolish of him to use shame to share the message of love, right? He doesn't shame you into it. Paul was indebted to bring grace to his neighbors and his enemies because Jesus has brought grace to his heart first. You and I are indebted to our neighbors and our enemies to bring grace to them because grace has been brought to our hearts first. So three things that the, about the gospel here that Paul teaches us. First, there's a lot of things, actually. In research for this sermon, I found someone um, who preached a three-week series just on this verse. So if you think you're going to understand Romans 1.16 in its full uh, after this one sermon, think again. But I'll give you an overview anyway. This is the first thing. The gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. Can I get an amen? The gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. Have you ever been ashamed to share what God has done in your life? Be honest. Has God ever done something in your life and you were ashamed to tell someone about it? Maybe you weren't ashamed to tell someone you love about it, but if there's someone who you know doesn't believe in God or or knows maybe has criticized your belief in miracles or something like that in the past, were you ashamed to share that? Maybe you were afraid that someone would belittle you for trusting so much in something that they believe is a fairy tale. Maybe you don't f- feel prepared to answer the questions they might have for you, so that makes you shameful. I think that one might be the one that plagues um, us the most at Queen's Church. We are worried or concerned that if, if I share what God's done in my life, they may ask me a question that I'm not smart enough to answer, or I don't have the right answer. So I'm going to back away from sharing the gospel to them. Listen. The motivation for overcoming that shame, the shame that is associated with sharing our faith, the motivation is 
the power of the news that we have to share. The motivation is not that shame. That's why Paul says, I am not ashamed. If I was sharing this out of shame, I would be picking and choosing who gets it and who doesn't, which he'll get to in a minute, by the way, with the Jews and the Greeks things. That's confusing you. Don't let it. We'll talk about it. Paul knew shame from the gospel well. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians. You think anyone's ever been shamed because of the gospel? Listen to what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Let me tell you how shaming that is. Strip his clothes off to nothing but a loincloth, march him into the public square, tie his hands up to a pole, and everyone from the town gathers and watches as he is whipped until you can actually see the flesh of his back. And some were so good that they could do it and make the bone be exposed without putting him into shock and making him pass out. He says five times that happened. I know about shame. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. They didn't like the, the, the whips at that point. They, just had to, they didn't have any whips, so they just used rods. Once, they didn't have whips or rods. You guys remember what it says there? Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was a, excuse me, adrift at sea. <clears throat> On frequent journeys... In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, from the city, from the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me because of my anxiety for all of the churches. That's for another sermon, because if you ever struggle with anxiety, you might say, I didn't know anxiety was talked about in the Bible. It is. Come talk to me one day this week at the office, and we'll, we'll look at it. But listen, Paul knew this shame well. Paul's society shamed him for his belief in the gospel. And we live in a society that shames us sometimes for believing in the gospel as well, right? So we don't need to feel alone like we are the only ones who have ever experienced shame based on this good news of Jesus. But when you have something that is so valuable, right? What is your motivation? We have something that is so valuable, you get past the emotions and the consequences tied up with sharing it and you boldly proclaim it regardless of how people view you when you do. John Piper says this, when you're watching your steps in order to avoid embarrassment, you are enslaved to those people and their thoughts of you. Play that out in your mind. See if that's true. John Piper, he's a pastor and theologian. He says, when you're walking, I mean, sorry, when you're watching your steps in order to avoid embarrassment in life, you're actually enslaved to those people who you're worried will, will shame you and to your own shame. He says you've shackled yourself up to people's thoughts of you. You've enslaved yourself in a prison that consists that the bars and the guards are your own shame. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And the fruit of shame is self-imprisonment. It is us shaming our, uh, sorry, it is us imprisoning ourselves to the way that other people think of us. 
And church, we must be willing to sacrifice our social status and what other people may think of us or say of us for the advance of the gospel. It goes like this. I will not allow someone else to control me because when I do, I am not fulfilling my calling. Remember, Paul's talking about shame in the context of his calling. And so I want us to think about what parts of our calling are we not fulfilling because we are enslaving ourselves to, to embarrassment and shame. Where have you shackled yourself to someone else's thoughts of you and it's preventing you from sharing the love of Jesus with them or with others? You know, it's not only that person who you, can, you are concerned with their thoughts of you. It's not only them who might be harmed. Like you don't share, you're supposed to be sharing it with them and you don't because you're afraid they might make fun of you. But sometimes that shame could actually shut you down in other situations where even when that, have you ever noticed this about shame? Even someone has so much control over you when you're afraid they might shame you that you might even be afraid that they might shame you when they're not even around. Right? Have you ever experienced that level of shame where you think because this person may say something or, or, do, uh, or, or act a certain way or feel a certain way when I act like this or speak about this, I, you might actually be shut down when they're not even around. Not because you're concerned word would get back to them, but because they've influenced the way that you think. That's enslavement. I think John Piper hit the nail on the head when he said, when we own shame, we jump into a prison built by other people's thoughts for us. And the good news about that prison is also the second point. The gospel is good news. And the good news is, watch how hard it is to break out of that prison. That's it. It's not real. It's, it's not physical anyway. It is real. It's not physical. You are not shackled. You are only self enslaving. So the good news is that the gospel is the good news. What is the gospel? Paul defines it for us here. He says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So inside this, this news has power. Have you ever been um, struck by some news and you would say that, wow, what you just told me has power? Maybe it's something um, trivial like sports. So I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan and, uh, the last 22 years that I've been a fan of them, they've made the playoffs every single year. It's the longest run in professional sports history. This year, just two weeks ago, I was struck by some news. It had power on me. I even told Lindsay, I, I'm more sad than I thought I would be, which means, you know, I took the winning for granted. That's what that means if you're a sports fan. I'm not trying to overthink this. I'm saying it's something trivial where news hits you. It's that I heard, boom, they lost the last game that they needed to win, and they're out of the playoffs. And I went, oh. It hit me, right? That news had some power over my emotions. I don't think in a sinful or a weird way, but you know what I mean. You've been hit with, you've been hit with more serious news that has power too, though, right? That exam you worked so hard on, you studied for three days, you got it back, and it was a what? F. Or even a B. And maybe... Maybe that's not good enough for you. But it was not what you expected. And you said, oh, and it affected you physically. That's because news has power. Paul says the news of the gospel is the power of God. 
for a very specific purpose. And hear me, lest we as the church use the power of the gospel to shame. Oftentimes, what's happened throughout the course of history is that churches and Christians have in groups co-opted the gospel. It means the gospel never changed. That's what co-opting is, right? I'm not saying the gospel changed. The gospel is still the good news. But sometimes Christians and churches have come and taken it and used it for their own agenda. They've co-opted it. I'll, I'll take some of that, and I'm going to use it over here to shame these people. I'm going to use it over here to shame these women for dressing this way. I'm going to use it over here to shame these men for not getting a job and getting their act together. I'm going to use it over here to shame these people because of their political views. Or these people because of their political views. Or these people because of their political views. That's a big one right now, right? Listen, the gospel is the power of God for one thing. And the church, as the church, we cannot co-opt this. This is a mission. We have to keep this in the forefront of our mind. We have to make sure that we are not co-opting the gospel to shame people because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So church, we have to effort and work hard and be diligent that we do not turn the gospel, which is the good news of the power of God unto salvation, into the bad news of the power of God unto shame. Because when we do that, we ruin our witness. And we actually put people on the path away from God instead of calling them to God. That's too much on that, though. That's the gospel. It's the good news that we must be sharing with others. It is, like this series says, this series is called Carry the Water. It is the water in your bucket. It's the water in your pail. And I want to ask you, church, when you head out of your door, are you looking for those who need a drink? Have you had your eyes on searching for who might be around you that needs some of this water you have, a drink from the living water? We need to be looking for the thirsty so we know who needs the water. Jesus like we talked about two weeks ago, when, when he found the woman, when he, when he saw the woman at the well, remember we talked about um, sometimes we have to orchestrate these coincidental, coincidental encounters. We can make these count encounters happen on purpose. You see, Jesus knew. He got up and he was praying with God and God said, there's a thirsty woman at this well. I need you to go. Give her the water. But it was only because Jesus was humble enough to ask God where to go that day that he was able to bring the living water to this woman who took it to her entire town. And we need to be people who are not ashamed of the gospel, but in fact, we wake up saying, God, who is thirsty? And, and what God's going to do, if you ask him that, he's going to do something fun. He's going to say, you are. Because until the gospel feeds your soul, right, Miss Jean? Ms. Jean's always talking about how the gospel is how she eats. She says, I go to church and I feel full because I ate of the bread of God. It's why we celebrate communion together sometime soon again, I promise, eventually, church, when we're together. But we need to be looking for the thirsty, and God says the thirsty is you first. So we wake up saying, who's thirsty, God? God says, you are. We sit down and we drink from the water, and then he says, now go. I got some other people for you today. Take the water to them.
So in order to, in order to know who to take the water for, to, here are a couple of quick tips. Ready? You have to know what the big questions that, are un, that our unbelieving friends and enemies are asking. What are the questions that the people around us in our city are asking that the living water will bring hope to that nothing else will? Uh, I'll, I'll offer you a few. Safety and security. People want to be safe and secure right now. They feel like they're on shifting sand politically, um, uh, relationally, socially, financially, occupationally. It's a lot of adverbs, I know. Adverb, right, babe? Yeah, adverb. That's a lot of adverbs. But listen, <clears throat> there are a lot of ways we're on shifting sand. So what people are looking for is safety and security. People are looking for provision. Some of you are watching this right now. I've been without work since March, and you're looking for provision. Some of you are looking for health. Some of the people around us are looking for a better life for their children. What questions are they asking for? Do they need rest? Are they overwhelmed? Once you consider what others are looking for, you can then show them how the gospel is good news for all of those things. You need rest? Come to Jesus. He can give you rest that no one else can. You have anxiety? Come to Jesus because he brings you a peace that passes all understanding. You are lacking provision? Come to the Father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, he's rich. He owns everything that you need. And he gives lovingly according to what you need. Well, he hasn't given me enough right now. Number one, he has given you what you need. If you're to the point where you're saying he hasn't given me enough, that's where he wants you. He wants you there so you can come to him. And then number two, have you been specific enough in what you're asking? Right? General prayers, God be with me, get general answers. God will be with you. Specific prayers, Lord, I need dinner, get specific answers. God provides meals for his children. Does that make sense? Specific prayers get specific answers. The good news for all of these questions is found in the gospel, but church, the, uh, the gospel is not good news to those who do not hear it. We have to carry the water. And finally, this. This is the best one. Actually, they're all good. I always say that when I get to the final one because I'm just glad you stuck with me for this long. But the gospel does not discriminate. Amen? That's what he says. The, it, it's to everyone who believes. Say everyone or chat everyone. <laughs> everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why does he say that? Why do Jews get to be first? Right? That's our first thought as humans. Isn't that funny? Why somebody get to be first? He's just, he, he's, he's merely stating facts, right? Jesus came to the Jews first. Jesus was a Jew. And he said, it is my calling to preach this to the people who God has already called. In other words, there's already this nation that's not getting this. I'm sent to that nation to tell them, hey, get this, and then take it to the ends of the earth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Well, why doesn't it say to the Americans second or third? Well, we should be first, right? So read this as to the Jew first and to everyone else next. The Greek was the common way of saying the rest of the world in this time. And then, if you're, if you're still not convinced by that, you can read the rest of Scripture where all nations, every tribe and every tongue will come and worship at the feet of Jesus. And you can see that Paul is just making a point here specifically to the Romans. And that point was the gospel does not discriminate. 
But I know that your experience may be different with Christians because Christians do discriminate, right? Don't be fooled into thinking you're a part of a group of perfect people. That's the worst place for a Christian to be, to think they go to a perfect church, to think that they have perfect friends or they are in a perfect religion or something like this. Christians discriminate. And over the, over the course of time, we've done a pretty amazing job at this, actually. We're good at deciding who does and who does not get to hear the good news that we have. However, Jesus has made it clear that this message comes to the Jews first and now has fully come to everyone else. And it is not up to you and me who gets to hear about the good news of Jesus. We are called to share it with everyone. We are called to carry the water to everyone, to those people who disagree with us and to those people who agree with us. In order to take it to the people who disagree with you, I hate to break it to you, but you have to know those people. I I know we've been talking a lot about this the last few weeks, but uh, with the forgiveness thing and the reconciliation in our relationships, if you don't know people who you need to reconcile with, that means your life is too safe and insulated and too secure and too comfortable. We, We are called to go to our enemies with the good news of Jesus. In order to do that, we must know them. In order to do that, you must have them at your table to dine with them or at least sit outdoors on the street and dine here in New York in 2020. It's not up to us who gets to hear it. You know, our culture has a big problem with tolerance and acceptance, right? Danny spoke about this briefly a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the practice of forgiveness and how that butts right up against our cancel culture, where we say if someone doesn't tolerate us or doesn't agree with us, I cancel them. I block them from my Facebook friends, or I cancel their business by boycotting it. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for that. But listen, we have become, the Christians have become too much like the world in that we view any interaction with people as an acceptance of everything that person has done in the past or is doing presently. In other words, I can't interact with that person because if I do, that means I believe in everything they believe in, or I stand for everything they stand for, or stand against everything they stand against. But when Christians participate in cancel culture, we walk a thin line. That's why I said there might be times, I'm not saying it's never a, never a good thing to boycott something or whatever, but I'm saying when we participate in cancel culture, know that we are walking a thin line. Since the heart of what we believe is that, when God, is that God had every right to cancel you. God had every right to cancel me. But, He loved us instead. So the heart of the message that we believe is that when someone deserved to be canceled, God loved them instead. So we must go to people with that heart. And we don't even have to tell them, you know? We want to tell them, Allie, you deserve to be canceled, but I'm going to show you some grace. That's what we want to do, right? But we're called actually to, in our our prayer life, come to terms with the fact that Allie deserves it, God. (laughs) And God will say, that's okay. You know what? Jesus died for that as well. I want you to go to her with gentleness and love. Allie didn't wrong me, everybody. It's okay. We're good? Okay, we're good. As we enter an election season, this becomes particularly important for us to recognize, right? Polarization, everybody on one end or the other is at a a fever pitch right now, and it's only going to get louder over the next couple of months. Um, But church, we do not discriminate who gets to receive the living water 
of Jesus. Just as we learned a couple weeks ago, we need to tell our story and we don't get to decide who is worthy of hearing it. So as the worship team comes, I want you at home to transition to a time of introspection. I want us to transition to a time of response. You know, we are not called to be concerned about who may think something one way or another of us. We are called to go to everyone with boldness, firm in our understanding of what has been given to us. And so church, I want to ask you right now, are you firm in your understanding of what has been given to you? Hopefully, by hearing that bit about the gospel there in point number two, you have realized right now Hopefully you have realized by now, just from point number two, a little bit more about this good news. That this good news is not just a message for you to do what you want to with. It is the power of God unto salvation. And if you are watching this right now and you have never believed in that good news, you have never trusted in Jesus and turned from your sin, I want to invite you right now to do that. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it is when that has happened that we have this bucket of water to carry to others. And we say, my shame has been stripped away from me. And I saw my shame. My shame was taken by Jesus on the cross who was beaten and bore the wrath of God for all sin, for all of mankind. Church, I invite you to believe in that today. If you have never believed in that, I want you to do that for the first time. You can just pray something like this. God, I confess my sins to you. I believe that you are who you say you are, the one true God. I believe you sent Jesus to be my savior and I trust in you for salvation the good news I get to share with you every week is that power of God unto salvation first to the Jew and now to your heart so if you just pray that prayer for the very first time put in the chat that you did that today we would love to reach out with you and talk with you more about becoming a follower of Jesus what it looks like to walk with him and now a next step for our um For those of you who are followers of Jesus, that question, go all the way back to the beginning. I said, what what shame are you carrying today? Maybe, you know, the sermon didn't really hit hard for you because you don't really have any shame about the gospel. You're pretty out there and bold about your sharing the faith. What other shame are you carrying? I want to invite you to set that shame down. As we sing this next song, you'll even hear a line in the song about how God turns shame into glory. He has a mysterious way of transforming things that shame us into things that give him glory. Just look at Paul's life. Let's pray, and then we'll worship together, lay down our shame, and turn to God. Jesus, we love you and praise you. We're grateful that you have given us your son, and we receive him today. Fill us with your spirit so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. 
fully surrendered to you. Break us free from the bonds of shame that we have constructed around us. And would we be under obligation to those who need to hear your love. In Jesus' name, amen.